0: Leave this one.
1: John Amos would like to come forward and expound that message to us. Thank you.
2: The readings from Revelation chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the land, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am your fellow servant with you and your prophets, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. That the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words, of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is the word of God.
1: Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. And uh, it is my privilege to share with you something from the Word of God. I might say before I begin that I'm not attempting to fit into any particular theory of prophecy or ideas about Revelation. What I'm interested in doing for for us today is simply reading what is there in the text and attempting to share with you some of the things which are not so obvious in the text itself. So let's begin with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the Word of God, which is the word that you have inspired by your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for an inerrant Bible. We thank you for an English Bible, a Bible that we can read and understand. We thank you, too, for those who have gone before to help us understand and make plain the word of the living God. Be with us now. Help us. Help us, O Lord. May the words that I speak in the meditations of my heart and your heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Well, problems. Problems of constant change. One of the very obvious evidences to me was the fact that a device that I used for many years to change slides doesn't work anymore. Why doesn't it work? Because the software of the system has changed, Change. No wonder we are a confused race, no wonder Nothing stays the same. And a few people are asking, and I don't blame them. If God is good, why is all this happening? What's going on? Lord, help us. So let's look at another slide, too. (laughs) Mankind was originally designed to live in a garden called Eden. In Eden was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we first read of it in Genesis chapter 2 verse 9 and then in chapter 3 we read sadly that when man disobeyed God that was sin and because of sin God locked man out of the garden. But in locking him out of the garden, he locked him away from the tree of life too. The tree of life, which is mentioned here in our reading this morning. In other words, the immediate consequence was to be locked out. But even more important was the consequence of death. God had warned that in the day that you eat the fruit of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will sin. You will be disobedient. And all these things have With them, other consequences. What are some of the other consequences? Sickness, sorrow, hard work, an earth that doesn't readily grow good food. You have to work it. It readily grows weeds, thorns, thistles, and things like that. But there's good news. Jesus opened a way back to the tree of life. We've just read of that this morning. Furthermore, this way is exclusive. It is only for those who believe. Furthermore, it is free. There is no cost. You don't have to walk over broken glass, hot coals, or some other pagan thing. It's free. And so why aren't why aren't people clamoring? Why isn't there a burning desire? Well, the answer is simple. Man wants to save himself his way. I think that was the was the theme song of one of the one of the uh, popular singers of the last century. I did it my way. But that is an expression of what we're all like. And so we're going to think about what is actually in the text that's important so that brings us to side 3 first of all do you realize that the old testament and the new testament the old testament is written in hebrew and the new testament was written in greek and it stayed in greek until it was translated into latin about 400 AD But then, of course, people didn't read much Latin. In fact, people didn't read much in those days at all. But Latin became the language of scholars, not the language of the people. Well, the first verse that we read this morning says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of of God and of the Lamb. Just five weeks ago, Ben Tate preached on Jesus' encounter with the woman of Samaria. Remember that? Jesus mentioned to the woman that if she desired it, he could give her living water, living water that would satisfy her thirst, Permanently. She was initially. Incredulous. Then later she pleaded. Sir give me this water. So that I will not be thirsty. She hadn't really. Got it all. She hadn't really understood exactly what Jesus was saying. But whatever it was she wanted it. For a lot of people. That's how they begin to think about eternal things, about God, about Christ. And Jesus often drew on examples in Scripture in what we would call the Old Testament, which was actually the Bible of his day. And he drew on a vision of Ezekiel. In chapter 47 of Ezekiel. And in that vision, there is a river, an amazing river. And verse 9 in that chapter ends with this. Everything will live where the river goes. That's a river of life, isn't it? Now, here we in uh, Revelation 22, verse 1. God gave John, the Apostle John, a renewed vision of the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God. That is the source of eternal life. You won't find it anywhere else. A lot of people want to find it somewhere else. I think even someone like uh, America's most wealthy African-American woman, Oprah Winfrey, she said this, a Christian who believes, she said she believes this, that there are certainly many more paths to God other than Christianity. What did Jesus say about that? He said... No one comes to the Father except by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Slide three. Do you realise that the New Testament, written in Greek, has been given to us? Wonderful, wonderful revelation of God. Jesus as God could offer this water of life to the woman of Samaria. And this water of life, or living water, is the life which Christ imparts through the Holy Spirit. It is proceeding from the throne of God. It's proceeding from the Lamb, from nowhere else. And the living water is what? It is the river of saving grace the river of saving grace have you tasted that river Do you know what saving grace is it never proceeds from human resources or plans as i said before it's a free gift it's the gift of a sovereign God through Jesus and it's there for the sincere humble asking and Jesus explained that to the woman of Samaria she needed it you and I need it too the second verse says through the middle of the street of the city on either side of the river the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. More on that in a moment, God willing. So the tree of life, and this term is used again and again. It's even used, for example, in uh, Psalm um, 119. It's found, it's used in Proverbs 11.30. It represents there the Roots of the spirit of God working in a justified sinner. (coughs) Matthew Henry comments. Let's have the next slide for. Matthew Henry says the tree of life is fed by the pure waters of the river that comes from the throne of God. It contrasts. It contrasts with another tree. The tree of death. What's the tree of death? If we go back to Deuteronomy 21 verse 22, we discover that a murderer was to be hanged on a tree. That was the sentence to be carried out under the law of Moses. And when Christ was placed on, was nailed to a cross, He redeemed us from the curse of the law, the curse that led to criminals being hanged on a tree, and He, He, He redeemed us from that curse, because it is written, and it quotes Deuteronomy 21:23. It is written, "Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree." Okay, but Paul describes describes the instrument of Jesus' crucifixion as a cross. The word cross doesn't appear anywhere in the Greek text. As a matter of fact, it simply is a translation or an interpretation of a Greek word meaning a wooden thing, a pole, or something like that, okay. So the cross is mostly a pole. But listen. Peter, in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 24, said this of Christ, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes You were healed. Just remember that though the Greek text does not mention the Roman cross, yet we understand that that's what it's talking about. History shows us that the Romans executed on wooden things. They called them cross. In the second verse that we're looking at today we notice that the leaves, it ends this way, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I'd like to take you back to Ezekiel 47 again. I read from verse 12 and on the banks On both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. That brings us to slide five, doesn't it? Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. It's almost word for word what we've just read from Revelation. It just reminds us that God revealed so much long before the Lord Jesus was born and died The prophets of the Old Testament gave us wonderful glimpses, little glimpses into eternity and the future. Okay. Leaves. What's the significance? So much of of what we're reading about is symbolism. What do leaves symbolize? Well, first of all, they show, like fruit, that the tree is alive and well. But what about healing? Revelation 21 4, the previous chapter, implies there's no sickness in, para- in paradise, no sorrow, no crying, and certainly no death. But healing, the word that is translated healing, is the Greek word from which we get the word therapy. Interesting word. But healing in the New Testament is used in a very broad sense. It means all sorts of things, including the healing of the person who is demon possessed. For example, in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. So, what do saints carry into heaven that needs to be healed? There's no sickness, sorrow, injury, and certainly no demons. We carry painful memories. First of all, the memory of our own sins. Pardoned, yes. The sins blotted out. And yet, we are still the same person with a new body going into heaven. Painful memories. Emotional hurts. And grief over loved ones who refused Christ. Won't we be sad because of that? Healing. Some carry memories of injuries as Jesus did. Many Christians over the centuries have been executed in various horrible ways. Tortures and so on. If we go back to Isaiah chapter 65 verse 17 we get a little bit of a hint of what this means. I'll read to you from that verse for behold I create new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. That's healing Of the heart, healing of memories. Brethren, in glory, there'll be no sadness. Even memories that were sad on earth eventually are removed. And then we come to another slide, number six. No longer verse 3 says no longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him English misses some of the significance of the Greek the words that are translated as curse the result of the fall all creation was defiled by man's sin and we read in Romans chapter 8 verses 19 through to 23 that the creation the whole creation is groaning because of that we're groaning everything goes wrong from time to time floods where one of my sons lives they are having huge floods at the moment and also earthquakes, pandemics, terrible diseases. All those things are spoken about in previous chapters of Revelation. The usual New Testament Greek word, katara, which is translated curse. And it includes the pollution of the earth and thorns and thistles and unproductive land and so forth but in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 we read that Christ was made a curse for us, same Greek word kathara, kathara not used though in Revelation 22 what's the significance of that well Christ was not eternally cursed he was treated as a curse, he was treated as a criminal but now he is in glory and he is king of kings and lord of lords more in a moment the word that's used here is a word very similar to the word anathema which some of the old versions uh, don't translate, I just transliterate in Galatians chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. What's anathema mean? It means eternally cursed. Eternally cursed. And so what's the word that's used here? Katara, Sorry, katathama. And katathama is actually an intensive form of that word. In other words, it means utterly cursed. There's no utter curse in heaven Where is it? You go back a few chapters, two chapters. Chapter 20, verse 10. You will discover that that is the place where Satan is confined for eternity. A lake of fire. And that is the wonderful thing about glory, about heaven. There's nothing that interferes with the true worship of God. It says in that verse, verse 3, his servants will worship him. Are you a servant of a living God? Are you one of Jesus' servants? Will you be worshipping God? We have no idea what that includes it's a very very broad word the new heavens and the new earth will never have the curse of Satan and his servants but the worship will be wonderful, it will be pure worship in the widest sense of the word without the clutter of human traditions that so often divideth without crumbling cathedrals without elaborate regalia because we'll all be robed in the same way in the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ something that he has purchased for us and then in verse 4 we read they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. The dream of every true Christian is to see Christ face to face and not be consumed by his glory. Peter, James and John were the only three who were taken up with Jesus into the Mount of Transfiguration. It had a deep, Lasting, profound effect on Peter in his second letter, chapter 1, verse 16. He recalls that event and the glory that he witnessed. But what he witnessed wasn't the glory of heaven. It was the glory that was given to Christ and those who were there beside him. the glory that was attenuated, muffled. Why was that important? Again, we have to wait to find out. Do you realise that our protection from being consumed by that is, again, the robe of Christ's perfect righteousness imputed or accounted to us, received by faith. It's something that you can't see. It's something that you must believe. Furthermore, his name is on their foreheads. Now in Revelation Chapter seven and verse three, the symbolic one hundred and forty four thousand were sealed with God's mark on their foreheads. In chapter Revelation, chapter nine, verse four, the seal of God was God's guarantee of protection when judgments were poured out upon the wicked. That Satan, who's the great copier in Revelation 13 verse 16 he marked his slaves his followers to exclude Christians from buying or selling but praise God you know what that mark which is symbolised with 666 can be obliterated by the mark of the Lord Jesus on our heart. Satan is only a He's only a copier. He has no power beyond what is given. But the mark of Christ is indelible. And for those who once served Satan, many Christians once did, any mark that might be there is well and truly gone because Christ's mark is upon him. It's interesting. I've been reading of some Muslims who were startled in their sleep by what they felt was a vision—a man in a white robe or person in a white robe—and some, in some cases, the name Jesus came into their minds. But most of all the figure that they saw in their vision in the night said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. And I read of one Muslim girl who was originally a 16-year-old trainee to be a, terror- a terrorist. And she had that experience. She had no idea where those words came from. But she had a feeling that it was the person was Jesus, a Muslim? Yes. Well, he is mentioned in the Quran. And so she sought out a Bible to read. And that is amazing. That is amazing. Through reading the Bible, she was truly converted. She was converted. And also others were converted. The person who had a Bible who learned her the Bible to read was converted. Eventually of course she had to flee from her home country too. But do you know that the Lord Jesus works mightily to bring out souls from darkness souls who are ensnared by the awful the awful power of Islam as a matter of fact I read of a group of secret Christians in Mecca that's the Mecca is the, the home of Islam and they were getting together secretly under the guise of watching soccer matches on TV. And while the match was playing, they had got hold of phones with Bibles on them. And they were simply having Bible studies during the soccer match. Of course, I heard that one of the groups was recently, um, not quite caught, but almost caught, and had to move elsewhere But we have to remember that Christ has not ceased to be King of kings and Lord of lords. There's no place where Christ, by his Holy Spirit, can't go. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 2, we read that the Lord laughs at those who gather together and try and oppose God. He laughs at it. It is so stupid, so futile. And then we have in the next slide a reminder that Christ is returning. He said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, yes, trustworthy and true. The holy book of Christ Revelation is confirmed and verified here. It is not sealed. It is open. For all to read with faith and reverence, never to be altered. Verses 18 and 19 warn about anyone who tampers with it. That's why Satan's work has always been to contradict God's word, as he did in Genesis chapter 3 with Eve as he has done with the Lord Jesus, he tried to deceive by misquoting or misusing scriptures in in the temptation. We need to realise that his work is to contradict God's word, to destroy it, to misquote it, to add to it, to silence it, no matter what. And to do this he raises up two groups of people. The first group is the false prophet. The false prophets. And the second group, Isaiah chapter 56 verse 10, calls dumb dogs. Dumb dogs. Sorry, I'm not speaking against dog lovers. Dumb dogs. Well, let's go back a little bit. First of all, The first translator of the Bible into English was John Wycliffe. Let's have the next slide. That's the one. Yes, John Wycliffe died in 1384, working from the Latin Vulgate Bible, which very few people could read, and he translated into English. But he was so hated because his translating work exposed the corruption and the ignorance of the clergy of his day. His followers, though, went about preaching the gospel everywhere. As a matter of fact, I read that the gospel from, that was preached by these, these followers of Wycliffe went to Europe, and as a consequence, one part of Europe there was a real awakening. And the leader of that awakening was a man called John Hutz. He was eventually put to death by the authorities of the church. And after Wycliffe was di- died, his body was dug up, exhumed and burnt, and his ashes thrown into the river Swift, because he was so hated for that work of making the Bible available to all. And so 140 years later, William Tyndale, 1536 he died, he set about making a thorough translation from Greek, not from Latin, but from Greek. He was hunted for years while he did this work. He'd go from place to place, especially in Europe. And yet he was finally betrayed, caught, imprisoned, and strangled and his body burnt at the stake publicly that's how much Satan hates the Bible if you have a Bible and you haven't read it much you have a precious treasure millions of people in places like China and Saudi Arabia and on, would love to be able to have a copy, to have it open in their homes. I heard of a Filipino Christian who went to work in Saudi Arabia and uh, he met up with a few other Christians in Saudi Arabia, mostly like himself, uh, Filipinos. They had a prayer meeting in a house, and then the the religious police discovered them and every one of them was put in prison and eventually was deported to their home countries. The devil, devil hates the study of God's word. And then the next thing, next slide. God is faithful. He sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. The word soon sometimes has caused some some uh, some confusion. It can also be translated as suddenly as it is in the James Version, suddenly or quickly. We must be diligent in keeping God's word, studying it and so on, because Christ will come soon or quickly. The theological liberals claim that Christ has already returned in the spirit. The false prophets have set dates constantly over the years. Contrary to the warning that Jesus gave in Matthew 24 verse 36. At that time is known only to the Father. Only. We don't know when soon is. It's soon in God's timing. Do you know that Jesus said that there are certain things that have to be fulfilled. I won't go into time to go into them today. But nevertheless, those things have to be fulfilled, whether they are or not. And one of them is that the gospel will be preached to every creature. Well, through the internet, through other means, radio, TV, and so forth. It has certainly been widely preached. But I'm going to have to come to an end. When the angel spoke to John, he knelt down before him to worship him. And the angel said in verse 9, You mustn't do that. I'm a fellow servant, worshipping with you and your brothers and the prophets. Worship God. That gives you a wonderful picture of heaven. What did the angel actually say? He said, I'm a fellow servant. He didn't say fellow minister or something like that. He used the lowliest term that the Apostle Paul used for himself, a dulas, a servant. He said, I'm a Sundalas, Sundalas. Humility <laughs> is the mark of angels. Humility is the mark of those in glory. There's no boasting. There's no fear. There's no idleness. There's no ignorance. Just perfect knowledge. Perfect knowledge. Perfect submission to the Lord Jesus as King of kings, Lord of lords, he is absolutely seen to be what he is, the co-creator of all things, the giver of life, the redeemer of this people. May the Lord truly bless you. May the Lord truly give each one of us strength to faithfully fulfill our commission to be witnesses to the end of the earth. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, help us, we pray. We acknowledge that we have no strength or help of yours, that we have no righteousness in our souls except what you have accounted to us. We thank you, Lord, for the cross of Jesus Christ that reminds us that he is indeed the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, the Lamb slain, that we might have life. But praise God, we bless you that he reigns in power and glory in eternity. Help us, O oh Lord, to prepare for that day. We thank you, Lord, for the memory of Anne Anderson and pray for comfort for her husband and family. That we can rejoice that that dear lady we believe. Is happy and will in the presence of the Lord Jesus.